that he uh, that he is especially they have a special salvation we have we're, we're now living in a present wicked age Satan is the god of this present wicked age there's ages to come and when those ages to come thens when the Christian people will enjoy the blessings of heaven will enjoy the blessings of of uh, what whatever Israel will be have be blessed with in the future, all of those will be in the ages to come. But at the present time, only believers are saved, and only believers will be saved during the ages. At the end of the ages, then the last enemy to be abolished will be death. Now that word especially there is that the word malista in the. That's right. Now is there another place? Uh, can you give an example of how that's used? Uh, uh, yes, in Galatians about the fifth chapter where Paul says something about uh, now let me see I want to, well one time in Timothy he told him to to bring his uh, books and his cloak especially my manuscript or something similar to that so that didn't mean that he wanted only the manuscript but he wanted his cloak and he wanted his manuscript too alright so this uh, word is used where Paul speaks of uh do good to all of those of the household of faith, especially those that are believers. That's in Galatians, I believe. I'd have to look it up to really quote it correctly. But there's another place. There are two places that he used it besides First uh, Timothy, the fourth chapter. And if they'll look, anybody, anybody could get a concordance there, there's some good study aids available. You, you take Smith's good cards. We'll tell you every place that word occurs. The Hebrew, uh, Englishman's Hebrew and Chaldee concordance will tell you every place ever Hebrew word occurs. And uh, the Englishman's Greek-English concordance, Strong's concordance, Young's concordance. You can look up those words. And if you know how to use those various concordances, it takes a little time to learn how to use them. Then you can find out where those words are used in other places. And the only way we can determine what a word means is how it's used. You can't take one passage and interpret it different for the same word and then somewhere else interpret it different. Lewis, you brought out uh, a whole bunch of concordances, and I have uh, probably just about every one of them that you talked about. Those concordances, do they work with uh, the NIV and do they work with uh, you know, the, the leading translations or are they keyed to a particular translation? And is there a difference between, let's say, what uh, Strong's concordance would say about the word aeon, aeonius, uh, and what uh, Young's concordance would say? Yes, there would be a difference. Actually, Strong is, in my opinion, the poorest concordance that we've mentioned. Young's, I think, is much better. Smith's is a real good one. And I think the best one is the Englishman's Greek-English concordance. Because then when you find a Greek word, then it gives you every occurrence of that Greek word, every passage, it quotes you the verse, and if you get a, uh, you get the Englishman's, it'll give you enough of the surrounding clause or words to tell you, show you how that word is used. That's the Englishman's Greek-English concordance. That's the best one. Next to that, my favorite would be 
the one I have here in my lap, which is Strong's. I mean, not Strong's, uh, Smith's. Said by Harold Publishing? Uh, yeah, Harold Publishing Company. That's a good work. And I think uh, the Englishman is now being con- trans. Uh, the one I've got, the original one, the English, Hebrew, and Chaldee, and the English, Greek English, was originally plan- translated in England. You see, this isn't new work. This isn't something that just come out since Jehovah's Witnesses come up. No, this is a work that's 140 years old, 150 years old. This is a work that was translated in England 100 and about 140, 50 years ago. And it's been available ever since then, but a lot of people don't know about it. I think Erdman's pr- probably prints that. It's available any any good Christian bookstore. If they haven't got it, they can get it. You know, you just mentioned a word, uh, Jehovah's Witnesses here. And I find that uh, little guys like you and me who uh, spend a lot of time in a lot of books studying on our own, the first thing that comes out of their mouth when we don't believe exactly like uh, the Orthodox Church is, oh, they must be in one of those Jehovah's Witness or Mormon or Church of God cults or something like that. Uh, do you belong to any of these cults? Yes. Are, you a, uh, are, you a, are you a cult uh, leader here? Absolutely not. I'm not a member of a cult, and I'm going to tell you something. I've spent a half a day or plus per a day trying to find out what the word cult means. If people will go to their dictionary and study this word cult, they'll learn a lot. It means to believe, have a faith or belief, belong to a denomination. Any denomination is a cult. In Germany today, the Baptists are called a cult. Is that right? Absolutely. I've got that right out in the last year or two out of Europe. Today, the Baptists, which is a very popular church here in the state, but if you was in Germany, they call them a cult because the Lutheran is a state church over there, you know. I see. So you're not a Jehovah's Witness? No. You're not a Mormon? The, the biggest problem with Jehovah's Witnesses, uh, they may have some truth on the word uh, Kahina. Hades, they may have some truth there. No, I don't think they do on Hades because they interpret that to mean the grave. It is not the grave. But their biggest error is the resurrection of Christ. They claim he was not physically resurrected, and that is definitely a serious, serious error. And you believe Jesus Christ was resurrected? Absolutely. Physically resurrected. I believe that tomb was empty on that morning they went to that tomb. I believe just what he said in the last chapter of the book of Luke. Let a little bit of scripture flow out of you of that everlasting gospel, as you, as you call it, the real good news. What are scriptures that you would tell a young person here uh, that are in any translation of the Bible that verifies your heart, your belief that Jesus Christ is the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world, that... Uh, not only died for the whole world, but it's finished. He saved everyone. What are some scriptures that you would use? Well, Romans 5, 18 and 19, 20. John 12, 31, 32. Can you tell a little bit about what they say? I don't, you don't well, the one there, John, if I be lifted up, I will draw all. And John, the fourth chapter... John, the first chapter, uh, where he come into the world to enlighten all, and uh, he's a savior of the world. Uh, also, the 
First John speaks of him as a savior of the world. And if he's a savior of the world, he's going to have to save the world, not just a few Methodists and a few Baptists and a few Lutherans and a few Catholics, which I'm sure he saved a lot of all of those groups. I believe there's Christian people in all of those groups. But if he's a savior of the world, he's going to have to save them all. Now, Lewis, a lot of people, I, I think most fundamentally evangelical Christians, would obviously say that Jesus is the savior of all of, of the world. But they wouldn't say that that means he's going to save the whole world. It means that he is the universal hope for the whole world. Uh, there is nothing else. There is no one else. But not everybody is going to receive him. That You have to choose Jesus. And if you don't choose him uh, as your savior, then for you he won't be the savior, even though... He is technically the Savior of all mankind. Well, first of all, I believe it's a very serious error when you say you choose Jesus. Jesus himself said, no one could come to me unless he, the Father called him. And again, he told his disciples, said, you have not chosen me, but I have chosen you. And a good example of being saved is the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul was as he said, the chief of sinners. He persecuted the Christian church. He put some of them to death. He stood right there with the first Christian martyr when Stevens was stoned to death. And when he was all the way to Damascus, I challenge anybody to show me in the Bible that he willed to follow Christ. He was absolutely 100% opposed to it. But when Christ called him, Paul became a changed man. He became a new creature in Christ Jesus, and he became the world's greatest Christian missionary the church has ever had, the Apostle Paul. And when God called him, he became a man. And when God calls you and he calls me or he calls anybody, they will answer at that time. So in the Greek text, when it says, and, and, and it says it several places, that he's the Savior of the world, that word Savior doesn't have uh, anything in the Greek that would uh, connote uh, potential Savior or, or, or a maybe Savior. It's a, it's oh, a firm man. statement. Uh, it, you mean we can believe it as it says? We don't have to put our interpretation into it? No. No, the word be just what it says, Savior. And when he says he'll draw all mankind, uh, how forcefully uh, is that word in the Greek, draw? Well, it's forceful enough that... Yeah, Dr. Lightfoot and uh, different other fellows makes a statement that you can't limit it. They make that in their writings, commentaries. You can't limit it. And so that's that's how much force you, you, you can't make it any more forcible than it is. Mm. Take, speaking of the words and translated verses that we have in our Bible, even the King James Version, and all versions, all translations will agree as to these scriptures that teaches universal reconciliation or universalism. They all agree. They don't all agree on those passages that are used to teach eternal torment. That should cause people to think too. Because they have various readings there in the different translations. But these particular passages like Romans 18 and 19, they all read the same. I don't know of one. I've got over 75, 75 approximately versions here, and they all read the same. All right, now if Ephesians 1, 9, and 10, where it heads up all into Christ, uh, there'll be an administration where it heads up all. Well, that, that'll read the same. 
basically with the same meaning. All right, Philippians 2, 9 through 11. And by the way, we, we need to look at that a little closer than most people do because it tells you there that every tongue will confess. Really, the word is confess should be every tongue will avow. It's really willingly. They're not forced to confess. Paul uses that term. Jesus uses that term when he, when he confessed or avowed the Father. Now, he wasn't forced. And that word doesn't mean to be forced, that word confess. Uh, let's see, I believe the word is homologeo in the Greek. But anyway, if it's a forced confession, how could you have the, any glory to the Father? Every tongue shall confess to the glory of the Father. So that's a willing freely from their hearts. And there's another scripture that says no man can confess Jesus as Lord except by the Holy Spirit. By the right? Holy Spirit. So these people have to be doing it under the power of the Holy Spirit. Absolutely, absolutely. All right, now Colossians 1, 16 through 20 definitely needs to be looked at a little closer. First of all, the word things, T-H-I-N-G-S in there, is in italic print in the King James Version. It's not in the Greek at all. It's to panta, the all. All right? The same all in verse 16 that he creates, created for him and through him, is the same all that's reconciled in verse 20. And if you limit verse 20, you're going to have to limit verse 16. And then we come up with the problem, who creates part of this creation that we have here? Because it definitely tells us that all is created through him and for him. And then it tells us in verse 20, and there's interesting. If I re remember correctly, the word tapanta, all, is used about eight times in verse 15 through 20. Eight times. And every time it means all. The same all that he creates will be reconciled. You can't limit it. If you do, then you're right back to where you're going to limit to creation. Is that the same word when he says that he hardens all, that he might have mercy on all? The same word, but it's probably a different case ending. Yeah, it's in a different case. Yeah, ponta, ponta. It's a, a punt as an adjective. But now let's go ahead here. That's Colossians. 1 Timothy 3 through 6 should be looked at a little closer than most people do. It tells you there that God wills to save all. And it tells you there in about the 6th verse, I believe 5th or 6th verse, that's to be uh, uh, revealed or manifested in its correct time, proper time. That's not now. Uh, how, how does that read? If you get me a... Hand me one yeah, of the... We have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Uh, oh, that's, uh, that's, uh, that's the fourth chapter. I'm talking about the second chapter now. Hand me that Bible right there underneath there. That'll, that'll do or any of them. Right underneath there will be better yet. This is one that's real large print. I'm getting to where I need one that better. Now... 1 Timothy 2, 3, starting at 3, and read through verse 6. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will have all men to be saved. 
How clearer can you get it than this? How can you make it any plainer? And to come into the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. That's the point I wanted to bring out. To be testified in due time. Not now, but it will be in the time comes, then God will testify to this fact. That this is true. Now, this is a very good passage. Also, the fourth chapter, which we mentioned, fourth chapter and the ninth and tenth verse, again, especially those that believe. Now, I believe uh, that, and our brethren all believes, that during the coming ages, those that are in Christ will enjoy the allotment of the heavens. We firmly believe in the heavens. And we'll be of the heavens. At the time we're in the heavens, the ungodly will not be there. The ungodly will not be in the heavens. They'll be in the lake of fire, or else, which is the second death. I want to emphasize the fact that it's death again. And then, uh, at the end of the ages, then is when all will be made alive in Christ. Now, the way you're talking, uh, I can just hear people saying, well, Lewis, you know, if uh, everybody's going to be saved, then I may as well just go out there and do whatever I want to. Uh, I mean, you've just taken away uh, everything that keeps me from doing the things that I want to do. And so if I'm going to be saved anyway, I may as well go out there and just become uh, a sinner. How can well, you how can you make that? Uh, how can you say something like that? I mean, you're, you're telling the whole world, uh, hey, look, you're all going to be saved. Go out there and do whatever it is you want to do. We've got to realize one thing. God loves us. And when He loves us and He calls us into this wonderful grace, then we don't want or will to sin. You don't... If you love your wife and she means what she should mean to you, and I'm sure she does, you don't violate and, and rub her the wrong way all the time. You serve her faithfully and she serves you. And the same way with God. When God calls you into this wonderful grace, you are changed, you are a new man in Christ Jesus, then you don't want to live in the world no more. There's no pleasure out there in that world. You get drunk, the next day you wake up. Now, I, I'm not speaking from experience. I've never been drunk, so I don't know what it is, but I know I've been around a lot of it when I was in the Army, and I know the next morning they get up and they have a headache and have everything else and sick, some of them throwing up. So I can see there surely isn't any pleasure in that. And I think the pleasures in this world is serving God. And I think the greatest power and the greatest influence in this world is not the fear of punishment, hell, fire, and brimstone, but the serving of God because you love Him and He loves you. What, did the early church believe like you? I think so. Do you think so? Yes, I'm sure of it. What did, uh, your, what did your history books tell you? My history books tells me for the first five centuries, the main Christian, especially for the first four centuries, the Greek fathers, let's say 75% of them or more, more probably, believed in universal reconciliation or universalism. 
Is there, do you, do you find in your studies in terms of the Greek and the Latin, do you find that, the, that there has been, that, that that might have been an area where, where a lot of the problem entered in, you know, changing over from the Greek text uh, over to the Latin uh, Vulgate text in the, what, 4th, 5th century? There's no question that that's where a lot of it started because St. Jerome took the word Ion and he translated it with two Latin words. He used the word Ethereum part of the time and he used the word Suculums part of the time. Uh, Ethereum, of course, is a word. It's questionable again now what he meant by those words because he did say in there where he had, had it translated that the Lord shall be reigning in the Ethereum at Eltra. At Eltra means in longer, so it is questionable as to whether he meant endlessness. It's really, really questionable at that time that he met endlessness. But when the church began to leave the Hebrew and the Greek and uh, and rest on the Latin Vulgate, uh, yeah, things funny. began to get sour. And a lot of those preachers, teachers at that time had what they called a, uh, a, a double standard, a doctrine. They believed one thing and taught another. You've read some of that, I'm sure. And... Uh, so uh, a lot of them really in their hearts believed in universal reconciliation. And I believe there's a lot of preachers today that believe that in their heart too. But they don't preach it and they don't teach it because they lose their position in their church. And, but there's some of those fellows actually uh, believed in universal reconciliation, but they didn't teach it. They said they had to keep the people subject uh, so they'd keep them in line. They thought they'd get meaner and meaner. Well... We've had hell-fired brimstone for, what, 1,500 years? you think the world could be much better or much meaner than it is today? Not much. If they had ever heard of hellfire, I don't think people have been any meaner than they are right now. Now, you, you use this word, uh, uh, ultimate reconciliation, universal cel- uh, reconciliation, and this word universalism. A lot of people that I know that are in the evangelical uh, fundamentalist kind of camp, when they hear the word universalism, they're picturing a Unitarian Universalist society up in uh, in Massachusetts, uh, New Age uh, people and feminism and uh, homosexuality and the whole nine yards. Uh, is that the kind of stuff that you're talking about? Absolutely not. No, the, ter- the type of universalism that I'm talking about is what the dictionary says universalism means. Which is it means ultimately that all mankind will be saved. Uh, just uh, so Buddha w- works and Hindu works and uh, and Hare Krishna works. There are many different roads to uh, to heaven. It doesn't matter. No, that's that's absolutely false. There's only one way to heaven. That's through Christ Jesus. So you believe when Jesus said, "I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me." Absolutely. You believe that that's gospel. Absolutely, that is the gospel. And you know what the word gospel means? Taught euangelion, good news. And there certainly isn't any good news in hellfire and brimstone. If that's what you call good news, don't try to tell me what bad news would be. Oh, I believe in the gospel, the good news. Christ Jesus is the Savior. Christ Jesus didn't die in vain. He paid the price. He shed his blood for the world. The world don't know it today. Don't realize it, but they will in the future. We were talking earlier about... And there's another thing I'd like to say. We all need to realize that God has more time to bring about these things than we we have. 
we think that it should cover the next generation. Martin Luther thought he was going to live to see the time Jesus Christ would come back. He didn't. He's been dead for 400 years now. Many more all through church history, there's theologians believe they was going to live to see the time. We must all realize God has more time to bring about his prophecies and what he says he's going to do than we have. That's, you brought out a good point. When I went into uh, my usual Sunday school type of uh, learning, I basically walked away with the idea that there were two worlds. There was the Old World New World. There was the Old Testament New Testament. Uh, but uh, from what I'm hearing with you when you're talking about this word aeon, uh, meaning ages, uh, it sounds to me like there's a whole lot more than two. Uh, what's your, what have you come up to in terms of... Well, there's probably five. It speaks of past ages. That's plural. So that means it can't be one. Can you quote the, where that Well, the first one would be Genesis 1 and 2. Then the second one would be from there to the Genesis 2 to the flood. The third one would be from the flood to the present time and will be into the future until Christ comes back. Then will come the kingdom age, 1,000-year millennial reign. Revelations 20, and many, many prophecies in the Old Testament, hundreds of them, full of it. Then uh, the Gospels, the twelve tribes will set up, the, 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 the uh, twelve disciples will set upon twelve thrones, thrones ruling over the house of Israel. Matthew 19.28, I believe it is. Many more prophecies. Then there's the age after the, the thousand-year reign. So there will be two in the future. There's ages to come. Present age, ages to pass. Uh, do, you, do you know offhand, I'm probably putting you on the spot, but do you know offhand uh, which scriptures in the New Testament talk about ages past, present age, and ages in the future? Ages in the future is in Ephesians, the second chapter. That's uh, about the sixth verse, seventh verse. Ages in the past, uh, Colossians, the first chapter, about the 25th. 20th to the 30th verse, right in there. Ages past. Present wicked age. I think you can find that in uh, the Gospel of Luke. That age in the Gospel of Luke. And then also you'll find it in uh, Paul's writings. There's no quite Anybody can take a concordance, young, strong, as anybody can find those verses. Lewis, I want to thank you very much for spending a little time with my friend. I'd like to say one thing else. that If anybody will study this subject, they'll find out that all through history, there's been some outstanding Bible scholars who were students of the Word who believed in universal reconciliation. All through history, all down through the ages, there's been fellows that have believed this. It's not something new. Not something that I've come up with or anybody else come up with in this generation or the past generation. It's come right, actually come right out of Paul's writings. I don't know how you could deny that. If there ever was a fellow that taught universalism, it's the Apostle Paul. As I've stated time after time, you quote a scripture that teaches eternal hell, and I'll quote one equally. I'll match you time any time you want to, verse for verse on universal reconciliation in opposition to what you want to quote. Again, as I've stated before, the universal reconciliation texts all read the same in all versions. 
Catholic versions. I've got five or so of them here. And the same thing applies to all of the versions. The eternal torment verses don't read the same. That should cause you to think, right? That's enough to make you think. And that's really what uh, we put this thing together for, is to make you think. Think, right. But this I confess unto thee, that after the way which they call heresy, so worship I the God of my fathers, believing all things which are written in the law and in the prophets. Those are the King James words of... Paul, the, uh, in his own words, heretic. Now, the, the New King James and a lot of the other translations have cleaned that up. They don't like Paul calling himself a heretic. So the New King James, uh, he, it says, uh, after the way which they call a sect. Well, Paul was a heretic from modern Orthodox preaching. Paul, who was the evangelist, the apostle to the world, he neglected in his 13 or 14 books that he wrote, over half of the books in the New Testament, he neglected to use that nasty little four-letter word, hell. Never mentioned it once. Now, in our town here, if there was a preacher who preached, as long as Paul preached and wrote as many sermons as Paul probably wrote, and never use the word hell, you know that he called a heretic. So Paul was a heretic in his day, and he's a heretic today. Because we know that salvation is from eternal torment, from hell. And yet Paul, who said, I'm preaching the true gospel, I'm the one who knows about it, I got it directly from Jesus Christ himself, Paul preached Jesus, the Savior of all men. Paul preached the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world for the sin of the world. Paul preached a God who would be worshipped 